You're listening to Freshly Brewed, episode 10. I'm your host, Jeff. Three years ago, I decided to visit Napa Valley. I was feeling a bit burnt out and I wanted a bit of an escape. So Napa Valley felt like a great place to go. Great weather, great wine, great restaurants, great wine, great wine. What more could I ask for? When I arrived, I asked the concierge at my hotel what wineries I should go to. For context, that's like asking someone in Rome, what Italian restaurant should I go to? I mean, there are just tons and tons of options. But I told the concierge that I wanted something unique. I wanted something memorable. Without even flinching, they suggested a winery called Palmas Vineyards. I didn't question it, I just went. And I'm gonna cut to the chase and tell you this. Palmas Vineyards was probably one of the most special tours I've ever done on any vacation I've been on. I mean, this place is more than just a winery. It is a multi-generational family-run estate, and it was founded by the inventor of the heart stent on one of the most stunning pieces of land in California's Napa Valley. They are not paying me to say this. This is not an ad. I just immediately fell in love with this winery. Today, three years after my first visit there, I have the privilege of speaking with the founder and CEO of this winery, Florencia Palmas. In addition to being the co-founder, partner, and CEO of Palmas Vineyards, she's a serial entrepreneur with a really impressive background in culinary operations, technology, and business. She's also one of the most passionate and humble business leaders I've spoken with. Florencia and I talk about trust, loyalty, doing business the right way, and how to craft an experience that people love. And of course, we talk a little bit more about Palmas Vineyards and the incredible technology-focused approach that they have to making some of the best wine. So to wrap this three-part series on wine, I ask you to swirl that glass of red or white, take a sip, and let's get going. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Freshly Brewed. Here's your host, Jeff Fenton. Freshly Brewed, episode 10. I have a huge smile on my face right now because I am joined with probably my most famous guest that I've ever had on the podcast, and that's not a joke. Uh, I am here with Florencia Palmaz, who is the co-founder and partner of, I would call it the world famous Palmaz Vineyards in California. Florencia, welcome to Freshly Brewed. <laughs> Jeffrey, thank you. It's a real pleasure. I am very humbled. that I, I can't imagine being your most famous. That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> well, you are, although if we count my dad's uh, dial in the other episode, I guess he would be the, he would be the most famous. So you can be the second most famous. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> you're in uh, you're in Napa right now? Yes, I am here on the vineyard. On the vineyard right now, is it sunny, cloudy, perfect California weather? Yeah, it's it's perfect California weather. Sunny, 72, a little breezy, probably 50 in the morning. It's pretty glorious spring. Yeah. I always say California, I mean, I'm I'm from Toronto, so coming to California it has the best of everything. And part of that is weather. Like you have perfect weather 300 days of the year. We really do. We are a gardener's paradise here. Oh, I, I guess I guess it's a decent place to make wine. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's a good Somehow thing. Somehow or another, we got lucky. And that's, oh. that's what it became. At least not all of California, of course, just this valley is a perfect place to make wine. But. It's unbelievable. And 
you know, as I mentioned in the intro, Palmaz Vineyards has a very, very special place in my heart. I I came out to Palmaz, uh, and it was almost by fluke. I was in Napa. I was getting away for a few days, and I asked the hotel concierge what would be a really great, unique winery to go to. Because you're in Napa, you got to go to a couple wineries. And right away, they suggested this place called Palmaz, and they said it was unique for a few reasons. They have this unbelievable technology, which you don't see in a winery. They have a founder and a family that has invented the heart stent, and their wine is amazing. So I, I came over, and for anyone listening, you need to just Google, and this is not paid, Florencia is not paying me to say this, you got to Google Paul Maz Vineyards. It is, without a doubt, the most stunning landscape and stunning property in definitely in California, maybe in the world. Absolutely beautiful. So, Florencia, again, I'm so grateful for you to be here and to talk about all things wine and family, and and it's going to be an amazing conversation. Well, you are very generous. I, I'm so glad that you are a fan of the winery. It's a, it's one of those inc- extraordinary gifts that I have the pleasure to commit my life to. And uh, and like you said, it is. It's very much family. Uh, everything that you're describing is essentially components of my family, and it's the culmination of all of the family members and all of our contributions that really makes the place so unique. Well, I'm just hoping that the more praise I share the more bottles of wine will be sent in the mail to me as a thank you. That's, that's, that's what I'm holding out hope for here. I, 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 I'm sure. I, we can do that. <laughs> so getting into getting into serious business now, the Paul Maz story, in your own words, you know, who is Paul Maz, uh, the last name? How did it start? Let, you know, let's hear more about this iconic family and vineyard Sure. Uh, well, so so we're you know we are a family of uh, immigrants. We are from Argentina originally. My father uh, and mother came to the United States uh, with me as a baby in their arms uh, in the '70s. And dad, what really be sort of like you're saying, the fame and the notoriety really is starts by my father's contribution uh, to the medical world. He was the inventor of the first cardiovascular stent and developed that while. Uh, while in his residency and uh, fellowship at UC Davis in Northern California. So we came from Argentina to Northern California. He was a doctor uh, at UC Davis, which also happens to be you know, the, the country's premier uh, institution for higher learning of wine and viticulture and enology. And on the weekends, they would come up to Napa Valley and bomb around and visit wineries and, of course, uh, fell in love with the subject of wine and, uh, and of course, this land that's just so extraordinary here uh, while, while dad was uh, studying at UC Davis. Fast forward, uh, his research actually took us to Texas, and we spent uh, most of my childhood and college years uh, in Texas as well as my brothers. And in the late 90s, my mother was the one who, in fact, said, it's time for us to go back to California. Uh, She wanted to build a place and to create a legacy that could be something that would uh, be able to be passed on uh, and bring the family together. So we found a derelict old winery that had been actually shut down since Prohibition. Uh, Mom found this this property here in uh, 
in uh, the Coombsville region, which is the southeastern side of Napa. And we started the process of restoring it. We all live here. Uh, my parents live in the historic old home that was Henry Hagen's uh, vineyard in the 1800s. And then my brother and I both live uh, on neighboring properties. And we share one vineyard and we share the winery and we all work together. It's a dream come true for all of us. So for for someone listening, I think when they imagine a winery um you know, they might have a, a very standard image in their mind, you know, the, the vines going in rows and then inside you see the machine that's crushing the grapes. Help describe what makes Palmas so unique and so different. Sure. So we, d- we did take a very alternative uh, approach to winemaking. Uh, so like you're saying, most wineries are above ground structures, kind of, you know, warehouse farm factories where they bring in the grapes, will crush them, you know ferment them and store them and bottle them. Uh, Here, this property is mostly mountainside. So we had very little plantable land to the total acreage of the property. And in order to maximize the vineyard uh, land, we chose to actually bring the structure of the winery up and out of the way, and which essentially was the hillside. The smartest way to be able to build a building on the hillside is not to build it on top, but in fact to dig it underneath. So our winery is a multi-layered cave system dug into the side of the mountain behind our uh, 300-foot elevation vineyard that spans about the equivalent of an 18-story high building. It's the same height as Coit Tower, actually, uh, in San Francisco and is essentially four floors. Each of those floors, because we were able to space it out vertically, are different moments in the winemaking. So because we had the height at our advantage and we were able to dig in any direction we wanted because we weren't encumbered by any hard rock or inclusions that we had to work around, we were able to really be very specific in the way those caves interconnect and allow us to make the wine in a gravity flow manner. So our wines are never pumped. uh, And then every one of those moments of the winemaking are arranged physically in such a way that we can literally just transfer the juice or the wine uh, from layer to layer of the cave and essentially start at the top with grapes. And three and a half years later, we end up with wine and bottles ready to go out the door. So whereas some wineries, probably many wineries, would use a lot of uh, pumps or systems to move wine through, you're actually just letting gravity do the work from top to bottom. Yes. Yes. Unbelievable. And <laughs> I remember this dome, and I was brought into this dome as part of my tour uh, one of three, cause I've been, that's how much I love you guys. I've been back three times <laughs> and I was in this dome and there's this projection system on the wall with graphs. And I felt like I was in the situation room. How important is technology to you guys? Oh gosh. Technology is extraordinarily important. It doesn't make the wine, but it helps us from staying focused on what's important in the winemaking. Uh, so technology really is our support system for allowing us, the people and the artists, to to be qualitative with our decisions and not waste time on the quantitative decisions, you know, data collection, mm-hmm. uh, analysis, relationships, uh, temperature, 
the the stuff that really is you know can be automated but we would never for instance automate the tasting of a wine or a critical decision of how a wine is blended or even most importantly how the how the the vines are farmed or you know how we interact with the vines throughout the growing season out in the field that is still very much that's the art and that's the soul of winemaking and that is still you know completely done you know with our minds and with our hands so in in doing a lot more research on wine and in speaking with a few different sommeliers the one thing that i've gotten a sense of is that wine is so much more than just a liquid it is so much more <laughs> than just a drink that you know you swirl gives you a buzz and you would be the absolute expert to answer this question what is wine to you and how is it more than just a drink well it's so much more than a drink absolutely this is not a beverage this is a journey and as as a vintner and as someone who's part of a multi-generational family dedicated to the production of wine it is a lifelong pursuit and uh an effort of a relationship between a family and a piece of land, then the wine that we make is the expression of that integrity and that commitment to this land that we have that we then pass on to be shared with others. It's got a glorious benefit of being both ageable and extraordinarily complex and goes through an evolution that allows those our customers and our collectors to really have a relationship with us as we have that relationship with the bottle of, of land, they have the relationship with the bottle of wine and watch how it progresses and ages and evolves, you know, throughout the years that they then have that bottle. When I was very young, I, I remember asking my dad, I said, do you think that Matt Sundin, who was this, fa this famous Toronto Maple Leaf hockey player, I said, do you think Matt Sundin's kids uh, get his autograph all the time. And my dad said, no, Jeff, when you live with Matt Sundin and he's your dad, you don't need his autograph. And I bring that up because I wonder when you're surrounded by such iconic wine every day, does it lose its value or, or not value, but does it lose that luster or is each glass for you as special as the last? Oh gosh, no. I, so I've, uh... I feel really fortunate that I've lived an extraordinary life surrounded by extraordinary things and extraordinary land right on this vineyard. And I will never lose that moment of spark and extraordinary and, and just wonder about what I'm doing and what I'm drinking. I do have to confess though, that when you really are drinking such fine quality wines every day, day in, day out, uh, whether they be mine or those of my colleagues in the Valley, perhaps I'm not, I'm not diminishing the value and the appreciation that I have for it, but I am having a more casual relationship with it than perhaps someone who's a collector who had to really search for that bottle, if that makes sense. I, I, I get to sort of casually observe it, but still have extraordinary um, sense of honor. And, you know, I just feel really lucky that I get to do this. I have to ask, and I, and I hope this question doesn't get you in trouble. Are there other drinks? Like if you're not having a glass of wine one night, you're like, you know what? I've had, you know, I've had my fair share of wine this week, but I want to indulge in another alcoholic beverage. What would be your go-to? Oh my gosh. Well, so my go-to is wine. I have to confess that I, I am wine of all colors, flavors, and regions. And, and oh, another no. thing that's a little it's sort of odd about me compared to maybe some other vintners is I almost never drink my own wine at home. 
So I I feel that in order to have a palate and an understanding of the whole industry of wine, in order to be a maker of wine, I've got to have a full range of understanding. So I really do try to make a point here at my house to always have wines from all over the world and all the different varietals. Uh, So and then, you know, occasionally, of course, I'm then bringing home my own bottles and trying them and, and sort of seeing how they're evolving. Uh, but then I would say, you know, a big hot day out after being out in the garden all afternoon, but there's nothing more delicious than a beer. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I, I do like some, you know, some cool craft brews. Um Cocktails I find fascinating. In fact, on our own wine stream, the we, we do a weekly podcast uh, or a live stream for our our list our uh, members at the winery. Uh, we just had on an extraordinary mixologist from Las Vegas, and he showed us how to make a couple cool cocktails. So, you know, once or twice a cocktail before a, a dinner that's featuring a fresh fruit or you know something that's that's fun and in season. I'm a huge fan of. I, I I'm very non-biased. <laughs> so Julio, cover your ears. Your daughter's drinking. Uh, uh, drinking beer, cocktails, <laughs> competitors, wine. Okay, we should end the podcast now. Uh, no, I'm I'm kidding. And I, and I love that. I mean, I love that as a, I mean, you're the CEO and that you can be open and transparent about, hey, it doesn't always have to be our own product. Give, give um, yourself more variety and more perspective. I'm sure that that in and of itself helps you perfect what you are making every single day. Absolutely. So there's so much family that shines through you and your story and not just, you know, the actual Palmaz family, but it sounds like your team and the, the staff at Palmaz. And I saw it, I, I sensed it. Uh, it is a family and there's so much loyalty there and love there. And I'm curious, how has that impacted your role as CEO and as trying to bring people together to achieve a pretty big goal running such a famous uh, winery? Well, it, um, it, gosh, it's such a tough thing to just to just say, but let me see if we can muddle through this one. Um, I think the leader of any organization is a servant. It's a servant to the people that they work with and they are a servant to the customers that they serve. And in this case, we're also a servant to the land that we are honoring by, you know, by working on and trying to make a product out of. So uh, that whole role of leadership is just steeped in humility. I've been extraordinarily lucky to have an amazing group of people at in all teams. You know, we call them teams at our, at our place. So we've got the vineyard team, we have the winery team, we have the hospitality team, and each one of those are clusters of family for me and caring for them and making sure that our frame of mind and our mission and our heart is unified in, of course, you know, making this product and then sharing this product uh, with all of our customers around the world is it's first and foremost. I mean, my parents always tell me, in their respective business endeavors, you give what you get, you get what you give, right? <laughs> yes. And what's, in, I mean, they're my parents, so I'm a, I guess I'm a little bit bu- in a bubble when they say it, but hearing it from you, I mean, would you agree that 
the investment that you're making in your people will return will, will will generate a return not just in terms of their loyalty but in terms of the success of your business oh of course and and not only that whatever i can do for them that will help them be better people in their own career paths maybe it doesn't end at our winery maybe it ends in them starting their own craft you know uh distillery or or brewery or restaurant you know a lot of people come and they work for us for a time and they get their were their mentors and then they go on to do something else so you know this is a legacy of of care and transition that we can then to build an entire industry uh, our mission statement at palmas is is a really simple one we've had it i've been really lucky to have you know mission statements sometimes can be a little corporate and cheesy but we had one that Right off the bat, on our very first brochure, our marketing person uh, could put it on there and kind of flippantly, sh and it for me was this profound statement that we've lived by since then, which is, uh, love the land, know the grape, and make a wine that honors both. And that is our singular you know, effort and pursuit every day. And everyone who works for us knows that and lives by that mission. That's a that's the closest that a wine slogan will ever ever bring uh, bring me to tears. Uh, I'm even mumbling my words there, uh, but no, it's it's you know as someone who has a uh, marketing and branding background, it's so nice and refreshing when you come across teams and leaders that really care about not just honoring their customers but honoring where they came from, and in this case, your land and your family, and it's 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 beautiful. Um, you know, there's obviously been a ton of success, uh, with Palmaz, but also it sounds like there's been adversity and, you know, hiccups along the way and crises along the way. I mean, we're as a world going through a pretty big crisis right now. I'm curious, what have some of those challenges been and how have you and your team weathered those storms, sometimes literal storms? Well, I'm lucky that in the wine business, we have a long history of being generational, right? That this industry is generational. The really great houses and the great wines throughout throughout history are hundreds of years old. So when we study our industry, we study how a business or in a business sector like, like farming and wine have survived through all sorts of uh, challenging times, whether it be plague, whether it be war, whether it be natural disasters, uh, we've you know the wine industry has seen it all. So, you know, we when you read about this industry, you read about how adversity is brought to an organization or a family, how they surpassed it, and then how they learned and actually refined their process for longer survival. When we started the winery, my parents were very clear. They said we're not going to endeavor this unless this is a multi generational project. So this isn't even about their it's not about me. It's probably about the fifth generation of the Palmas family way down the line. I can't imagine what that's going to be about, but I can tell you already in the 20 years that I've been running the winery, we've seen, we've seen fire, we've seen flood, we've seen drought, oh. and now we're seeing coronavirus. So, Invisible. Uh, all right. You know, uh, thankfully we have not had any, you know, war on our land, right? We have not had any, um, we have, you know, in the United States or in Canada, we haven't experienced war in our backyard. Uh, but definitely our customers have experienced war. I mean, you know, we have a, a great 
population of veterans who went off to war and came back mm -hmm. and are some of them are still there. So so this is I mean, this is but this is what every business does everywhere around anyone who's been in business for more than a very narrow span of time lives with adversity and then like you said how you then handle it and what's your attitude towards the event defines your survivability and if the, you know as the wine industry we are we are taught to try and survive everything that comes at us so for instance when the fires came we immediately went into action mode what to do to protect the land what do we need to do to protect our people? And you know, then to see my own team come on property, live with us, help us fight fires, help us make wine, while we were all under evacuation order uh, and wearing face masks, you know, was a, ver a bonding experience. And you know, now that we're in a shelter-in-place order with a coronavirus, and having had our entire hospitality. Uh, parts of our business shut down, we're now working on how do we virtualize our sales efforts, right? How do I get the hospitality and reached out to our customers in their homes rather than um, rather than wait, just waiting for them to come and visit us? And we, you know, we immediately saw that challenge and went, oh, okay, new challenge, new uh, new priorities. And the you know first thing I did, I think I mentioned this to you when we had the pre-call. When we found out that we were going to be sh shut down in the tasting room, the first thing I did is I walked into the tasting room. I spoke with each and every one of the members and I said, don't worry, we're in this together. This is an opportunity for us to open up a new sales channel, to refine our skills on the, you know, virtual tasting platforms and to, you know, basically get really good at telemarketing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's what we've done, you know, and, and honestly, you know, there's always a learning curve. And it's a slow process, but uh, I'm really pleased to see how unified everybody is on on this effort, and we're doing pretty well. Well, even tomorrow, or I guess this this episode might it will probably be out after. But you, you've been having these wine streams, so tomorrow you have one in the spirit of Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, and just while people are listening, because I don't think I've lost the listeners yet. Um, <laughs> when, how often and when? Are you streaming these sessions? Yeah, sure. So we started the week after being uh, shut down. Uh, we started these wine streams. So it's every Wednesday at four o'clock Pacific time. And the idea is to just join us for a live broadcast of a different subject within the winery. Uh, it's myself, my brother and my sister-in-law, kind of like a a goofy news show. <laughs> it's a, how about a boozy news show? That would be the better way to say it. A, a booze show, the evening booze. <laughs> yeah. And it's been a ton of fun. I mean, I never expected it to be as successful as it is. Um, you know, the viewership has been uh, incredibly engaged. People send us photos of them watching our wine stream while drinking the wine that we're featuring. It's, it, it's been this, it's really the highlight of my week right now. Uh, you know, being sheltered in place and having kind of limited social co contact. I really miss seeing customers. I miss, I miss the traffic and the hubbub of the, of the tasting room. It's, it's really quiet up there right now. Uh, so it's been great to at least connect virtually with everybody. One, one question I want to ask before we bring this very fruitful discussion to a close, and I've been using that pun, I think in every wine themed yeah. podcast so far, 
what's next for Palmaz? Obviously, you can't reveal everything, but you know, next few years, next decade, what's on the mind of of the the family and the team there? Uh, well, you know, we we think that the vineyard is just turning a corner. It's amazing to see. Um, the, the just the sheer improvements and the understanding that we're now having for every parcel. We're in our 20th vintage now, uh, and we're really settling into how to, how to relate to this land. Uh, so I think that the first 20 years was probably the us getting to know it, right? The the establishment of the vineyards, the getting to know the different parcels. The next 20 years is going to be phase two which will be the refinement of that. I really do look forward to seeing um, more, more, refi- more concentration, more refinement, uh, perhaps also the, the real in understanding from an environmental standpoint, what are the meaningful things that we can do uh, to help imp- improve our footprint on this land? Uh, there's a lot of sustainability Uh, practices that even in the first five to 10 years, you don't really know if what you're doing is really doing good by the land. You know, environmental sciences is a very slow moving science. So I think there's going to be a lot more understanding of, you know, were these certain practices that we've been doing in the vineyard that we thought were good for the environment, are they in fact good for the environment? We're going to start getting that data in, in the next decade. Well, I, I love that there's a patience to it, that it's multi-generational. If you want to <laughs> adopt me as a, as a member of your family, I'll, I'll happily take over for a generation. Um, but, but on a serious note, I have such a uh, respect and admiration for people and brands that put so much care into what they do. It shines through. I hope that anyone listening, you know, take you can take my word for it, but, but if you don't want to go on, uh, their website, check out Paul Maz, P-A-L-M-A-Z on Instagram. Uh, and Florencia, I just want to thank you sincerely for taking the time as you're navigating this difficult crisis to speak with me, to share more about the incredible story. Um, and most importantly, to create such an incredible product and experience for people who are fortunate enough to experience it. Oh, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. (laughs) All right. Well, take care and thank you again. (laughs) Thank you.